And we want to look at the doctrine of Christ. It's in this little small epistle towards the end of the New Testament. If you find the book of Revelation, then just back up a couple of pages and you'll have 2 John. We'll look at all the verses, but I'll read the first three just to get us going. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also they that have known the truth, for truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you and mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. That's Second John. And so we want to just look a little bit into the doctrine of Christ and see what it says. One other verse I want to read, verse 9. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for another opportunity to fellowship. And now as we spend some time in the word... We want you to speak to all of our hearts. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. We we don't know who the elder and elect lady, uh, we don't know who the elect lady was. The elder, in the sense we believe, was John. That's certainly what the earliest traditions of the church teach. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, the Gospel of John, and the book of Revelation written by the same disciple of Jesus. That being the case, that would mean that other than the Apostle Paul, John wrote a large portion of the New Testament. In regard to this lady, some commentators think that this is a reference to the church and the parishioners in that church. Very well could be that, also could be a lady and her family in any case is not going to change any of what John has written. But I want you to notice in verse 1 and 2 the emphasis on the word truth. Whom I love in the truth, they that have known the truth, for the truth's sake. We bring that out because truth is something that's very important in in the times in which we live. It certainly was important in ancient times. We know the scripture where Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the what? The life. So if Jesus is the truth, he's the standard by which we measure everything. If we're going to determine whether something is accurate or inaccurate, then we're going to study it in light of what Jesus said and in light of what the Gospels teach about him. That is important. Today, people don't necessarily believe there is such a thing as truth. Certainly not absolute truth. They'll tell you is what's true For Olivia may not necessarily be true for Anna. And all of these variations are true in some shape, form, or fashion. That is not what John is getting at here in this letter. He is speaking specifically about a truth that is related to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says he loves them in the truth because they've known the truth. Now, it's better to have known the truth than never known it at all. But for people who've never known the truth and only known error, then, of course, they don't even know what it is to walk on a good foundation. 
But verse 2 speaks about that truth dwelling in us, almost like it's an, a person. But we told you Jesus said he is the truth. If that truth abides in us and is with us forever, then we need to know John is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the truth. He's the one that abides with us. He's with us continually. And it's the spirit of truth that is in us that reaffirms the veracity of Scripture. When you read Genesis 1, 1, and it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The Spirit of God is inside of you letting you know that is exactly what happened. That is true. So the Spirit of truth confirms the truth of God's Word and all that it declares about God. Now in verse 3, three things are mentioned here. Grace, mercy, and peace. Now, if I were to ask you what's the definition for grace, you'd probably say unmerited favor, and that'd be true. I mean, we receive something we didn't necessarily deserve. And God goes out of his way to provide a scheme of redemption for us when we certainly didn't merit it. If you had an enemy that persecuted you and you didn't like, and you guys were down on a pier, and let's say uh, your enemy was down there on the edge and somebody walked by and pushed him in, and it wasn't necessarily you, and your enemy couldn't swim, but yet you saw him floundering there in the water trying to save himself, but he couldn't do it. You've got options. You can jump in the water and save him. You can throw a little life buoy in there, or you can let the man drown. But if you do anything to rescue him, see, despite his behavior towards you, then he's received something from you that he didn't necessarily deserve. Now, all of us, before we became Christian, we, we were hostile toward God. Now, you may, you may say, I never spoke out against God. I never cussed God. I never blasphemed God. You may say, I just really didn't care. Well, God took your indifference as a hostile act toward him, to ignore him. He took that posture as a posture that was opposed to him. But in grace, he reached out, see, to redeem, to save. Well, what is mercy? Mercy can be, you know, a synonym for kindness, loving kindness, love, compassion. Mercy is something that is given to people who have a need. There's the story of the man that fell among thieves. And you remember they left him for dead. All these people walked past him. And Jesus told the Jewish people about a Samaritan man that came by and helped them. When the priest and Levite and everybody else walked by, and Jesus said, which man do you think was neighborly to him? Because the Samaritan had bound up his wound, put him on his beast, and took him to an inn, paid his way. And they said, well, uh, that Samaritan guy showed him mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. So you see, in that instance, that mercy is connected with how we interact with people and help people that have a need. If John says, grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, they have an immeasurable supply of mercy to share with us. God never runs out of mercy for you or for me. And even with the blind men that said, Son of David, be merciful unto us. And 
Uh, I should say the ones with leprosy. And the Lord said, go show yourselves unto the priest. And as they did, they were healed. So mercy then, of course, is extended to bring in physical healing and recovery to people. When we say, Lord, be merciful to me, we're saying, God, show compassion to me. I need it. Well, the third aspect here is peace. Before we became Christian, we didn't have peace with God. We certainly didn't always have peace with one another. Some people don't have peace in their house and in their relationships. But peace certainly should replace hostility. Here's what the Bible says. My peace I leave with you. So it was a possession of Jesus and he can give it away. The Bible also said, blessed are the peacemakers. So that tells us that peace doesn't just arise on its own. Somebody's got to create it. Somebody has to take the time to make the environment in which peace can thrive. And if you don't do that, then you can't have peace. You can't have it in the church. You can't have it in the home. Someone has to be the one willing to have a soft answer that turns away what? Wrath. Because the wrong answer can spur it on. The right answer can stop a lot of problems. And when relationships are where they're supposed to be, then you'll find there's peace in the way people talk with each other. So the scripture talks about conversation being seasoned with grace. You ever notice how sweet your family members talk to you when they like you and they're happy with you and how different it is when they're not pleased with you? So sometimes if if I call Tiffany and she's out shopping or something like that and uh, she picks up the phone, I'll say, who loves you, baby? And she'll say, you do. I mean, with all this excitement and joy. But if she's not pleased with me and I call and I say, who loves you? She'll say, my mom. (laughs) She does. She does. (laughs) I say, who loves you? Your mom, you know, she's getting around this thing. She's not going to say me at all. But grace and mercy and peace from the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the Prince of Peace. He can provide the peace that is needed. But again, verse 4, we run into that word truth. I rejoice greatly because I found them walking in truth. Our happiness and joy can be determined by what we hear and what we see. Because in the other epistle of John, he said, because I heard your children are walking in truth. Parents are pleased when their kids obey the gospel and live according to the word. Pastors are pleased when people walk in accordance with what the scriptures actually teach. And at the same time, if joy comes to parents because kids live right, the reverse is also true. It can bring sadness to a mom and dad if the kids don't go God's way. I rejoiced greatly that I found of your children. Now, in this lady's home, she likely modeled for those kids what it means to walk with God. We're talking about a church and somebody in leadership or somewhere in that church was setting the example here. But the commandment that was received wasn't a a new one, but it was a commandment to walk in love. And that's what verses five and six are all about. You've heard from the beginning. We're to walk in love. What does love mean? 
I mean, love means we have to be willing to forgive, to not be bitter. Love covers a multitude of sins, but love doesn't endorse, improve, approve of, or promote sin. But love does love the people despite the sin. The scripture says God loved us before we first loved him. Before you ever even thought about turning to God, he loved you. And even after you started thinking about turning to God and before you turned to God, he still loved you. And then when you repented of your sins and started walking with the king, his love for you didn't change at all. This is love in verse six that we walk after his commandments. And then the last sentence of verse five that we love one another. Now, I've told people before that this pastoring thing would be easier if we could do it without people. You know, it would. It just it'd be wonderful if we could do it without people because it's easy to love yourself. But when you have different personalities and you bring other opinions and views into it, then it becomes hard and it becomes difficult. And the adversary takes advantage of all of us that wear pants and suits and dresses and skirts and from our lips. We say things we shouldn't say. We do things we shouldn't do. But yet in the end, here's what the Lord says. You've still got to forgive and love. How often, Lord, can Gail sin against me and I forgive her? Two times? Oh, no. He says, you got to increase that. Got to keep going up to 20 times. And then I can cut the kite string and say I'm done with her. So, oh, no, you got to go up, up, up into the hundreds. And, and, and in that regard... It shows us that the love of God is available to everybody in a great capacity. So greater love has no man than this, than he that would lay down his life for his friends. Romans says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. All of us in here are born of the Holy Spirit, regenerated of the Holy Spirit. There's been a deposit of that love inside of us. So we can never say we can't love someone But we can say we won't do it. It's a matter of the will. It's not a matter of ability. It's a matter of the will. Once you choose to do it, then you're right with God and you're doing what you're supposed to do. The reason John is emphasizing truth and love is because verse 7 tells us there are a lot of deceivers out here. Now, this word is interesting. What is a deceiver? A deceiver, obviously, is someone who can pull the wool over a person's eyes. I don't want to bother with a poll in here asking how many of you have ever had somebody lie to you. We've all had people do that. But to be deceived means you believed what they said. And there are some people that when it comes to lying, it's an art for them. It's a skill. And they know how to pull the wool over somebody's eyes. You may have a family member that's so good, they know how to squeeze out tears at the right time. They know the exact words to say to pull on your emotions. And they can get money out of you. They can get a trip out of you. They can get food out of you. They can get clothing out of you. And yet they'll convince you that they mean everything they're saying. I'll never do it again. I promise you, I'll pay you back. Yeah, deceiver. Well, he says there are a lot of deceivers in this world. 
Now, he's not talking about money. He's talking about religion. He's talking about how we act with respect to our love for God. And this is the kind of deceiver he's speaking of. The one who doesn't confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Now you would wonder why that's a big deal. Well, look at verse number 9, because this is where it talks about the doctrine of Christ. Why would it have been important to acknowledge that Jesus has come in the flesh? Well, there were plenty of people in ancient times by the time this was written, that really didn't think Jesus was a man. If he was a God, then he couldn't have been a man. That would have been the thinking for a lot of people. But the emphasis of his humanity is necessary because if he wasn't tempted in all points like us, then how could he have ever been the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world? Now, I want to spend some time right now on this little phrase here, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Mary wasn't even married when the angel came to her. She was engaged. The angel said, you're going to have a baby. That baby's name is supposed to be Jesus. She obviously had to relate this to Joseph, who didn't believe it. So an angel came to Joseph and said, what happened to Mary is true. She's going to have a baby. You name him Jesus. That's exactly what they did. He got up from the dream. She eventually had the baby. They named him Jesus. And the angel told her he's going to take away the sins of the people. Okay, well, then the word Christ here, the, the word Christ referring to the Messiah, someone who would come and redeem Israel. Take the, the yoke and the power of other entities off of the neck of the Jewish people. People thought he was the Christ. I mean, remember, uh, they said to him during his trial, are you the Christ? You remember somebody came to him. Uh, John's disciples came to Jesus one time, and said, are you the Messiah? Do we look for another? So they were talking about it, using this word, expecting a Messiah. Jesus even said to Peter, who do people say I am? Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. When Jesus was raised from the dead, there were some disciples walking on the Emmaus road and Jesus started walking with them saying, why are you folks so unhappy? And they said, look, where have you been? Haven't you heard about what happened to Jesus? We thought he was the one to come and redeem Israel. What are they saying? We thought he was the Christ. For John to write, Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, John is acknowledging his virgin birth happened exactly as it was told. That is evident testimony that they believed he received his name from that angel and that what was told by that angel to Mary and Joseph came to pass. That's their acknowledgement. At the same time, by saying he come in the flesh, they're acknowledging that it was not Joseph's semen that helped produce him, but that he was conceived of the Holy Ghost. Fully God, fully man. And John is saying for anybody to deny these truths, that person is a deceiver. Now, there are people who will come and sit in a church and say they believe these things and do not believe. That may take you a while to discover it. 
But over over time, you will just in casual conversation. I've talked with people who, you know, just just offhand without even really meaning anything. They'll say to me, you know, I, I don't I don't know that I really believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. Yeah, I've had people say that to me sitting in church, not in any of our churches, but I've had people tell me that when I've been traveling. So what they're telling me then is I'm going through the motions. I'm coming to church. I'm giving money. I'm saying prayers, I'm singing songs, and I have deceived people into believing I'm a Christian. Because I deny that he came up out of that grave. There are a lot of people in the house of God today, in the physical house of God today, that are absolute deceivers. They don't confess that Jesus is coming to flesh. This is a deceiver. And John goes so far as to say, this is Antichrist. Yeah, this is Antichrist. Now, why would something like this be Antichrist then? Because John is the only one who really uses that language here and then in 1 John. The Antichrist being a spirit of error that comes to stand between truth and the sinner to keep the sinner from coming to truth. And that Antichrist spirit poses a threat because it presents a Christ that is not in accordance with what the early apostles and early believers believed. And if we can get people to believe in the false Christ, then from that belief we'll produce, as Paul says in Corinthians, a false gospel. See? And from that false gospel we'll have a false salvation. And believe me when I tell you, if the devil can take a person down that particular road, pretty soon he'll give them emotions and feelings that will confirm that false salvation. And people say, oh, no, I'm just as saved as you are. When I was saved, I got goosebumps and the hair on the back of my neck stood up and I knew something happened to me. I just don't believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. See, false. It's like a gentleman one time was telling a story of him being at some charismatic conference back in the 60s. And they had a man get up to speak who I think either he had been a Mormon or was on his way out of that. But I guess he had had some kind of charismatic experience. And on the base of the, that charismatic experience, they said, well, we need to let this guy get up and give his testimony. And so this, this preacher listened to him stand up there and talk about all of this. And then afterwards, here's what the preacher said. He said he walked up to the man after he came off the platform. He was standing there around other people. Other conversations were going on. And he said to that man, he said, I found it very interesting how you explain that you had this charismatic experience. He said, but tell me how and when were you born again? And the man looked at him and said, he said, I got the tongue, but I hadn't got that new birth yet. I said, oh, my goodness, deceiver. See, deceiver. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. The devil is very smart in misleading people. He knows exactly what he's doing. And if you don't think so, look at how many billions of people aren't Christian today. Yeah, it's a lot of them. Yeah, it's an absolute lot of them. So verse 8, John says, everybody look to yourselves. Pay attention to yourselves that we not lose the things that we've wrought. See, all that we put in you, all that we've given you through the scriptures, all that we proclaim to you, we don't want you to lose that, but we want you to receive a full reward. 
He's saying, don't backslide. Don't walk away from God. Now, how many times have we seen people backslide? Think of the number of people that you've known since you became a Christian, since you started walking with God. Think of how many have turned and stopped walking from God, stopped walking with God because of an unanswered prayer, loss of a loved one, favorite preacher left, marriage dissolved, whatever it might have been. People turn and go the opposite direction. But John is saying, pay attention because we don't want you to lose anything. We want you to gain. We want you to profit. But we don't want you to go backwards. But we've all seen that. We've all seen people take a hasty retreat in the wrong direction because they say this way is too hard. Well, God never promised you you'd have roses without thorns. And God never promised you that you'd have a a pathway that was strewn with all kind of flowers and praises. And even if people are praising you, shouting Hosanna and telling you how wonderful you are, there's still a cross down the road just like there was for Jesus. Take up your cross, follow him, be willing to die. He says in verse 9, whosoever transgresses, see, that gets on territory they shouldn't be on, break the commandment of God. They don't abide and doesn't abide in the doctrine of Christ, doesn't have God. Now, we've already talked about verse 7, what a good portion of that doctrine of Christ is. But according to verse 9, if they don't abide in that truth, they don't have God. But you hear every day on that television, you hear every day from preachers and pulpits, folks who deny the truths of who Jesus Christ is. They tell you they have God and have a relationship with God. And according to John, they don't even know God. Don't know him at all. No inheritance in the kingdom of God. What is the doctrine of Christ? Basically, Jesus said in John 17, Father, give me the glory that I had with you before the world was. So we know Jesus was God before there ever was an Adam and Eve. Okay, so he comes into this world through a virgin birth. A virgin birth has to be true because if there's no virgin birth, there's no regeneration. If he wasn't conceived of the Holy Spirit, we can't be born of the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, he lived in this world without sin. He who knew no sin became our sin. If that were not true, we could not by faith believe he bore our sin. He was our scapegoat. And our sins were taken away because of what he did. He was literally buried And because he was buried, we trust and believe that our old man has been buried. That old man's been buried. And when we are baptized in water, figuratively, that is an image of that old man going down, that new man coming up. He was raised from the dead. With the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we all are justified by our faith and we are told to put on the new man. Why is the new man different from the old man? Because the resurrected Christ was different from the one that was crucified. The resurrected Christ had wounds, but he wasn't bleeding. He was healed. This new man that he had could walk through walls and come into a room where the disciples were. And the scripture says for each one of us to put on that new man, which is renewed in the image of knowledge of God. And as we do that, then that's helping us to acknowledge the resurrection of the king. And certainly we don't want to forget that he ascended 
and he's one day going to be our judge. All of that is essential in the basic teachings of Christ, because if a person denies that Jesus is one day going to be our future judge, then they likely don't believe he was raised from the dead. Because if he was raised from the dead, what was he raised to do? He was raised one day to judge all of those who come and stand before him. The person who denies the resurrection likely denied the virgin birth. It's a chain, folks. It's a chain. And once one link is broken, then the rest of it just unravels and falls apart. John says, whoever doesn't abide in the doctrine of Christ doesn't have God. He that abides in the doctrine of Christ has the Father and the Son. Father and the Son. So who denies the Sonship of Jesus Christ? Well, we've been grafted in to the Jewish lump, but Orthodox Jews today don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. Muslims don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. Hindus believe Jesus is just one of many gods. Buddhists, not sure there's a god at all. See, And, and, and that's not even to deal with the host of other religions, thousands of religions we've never even heard of in this room right now. But if they deny the truths of the doctrine of Christ, they don't have God even though they talk about him. So God is a generic word. And it can be used for anything. It's just like in Arabic, Allah just means God. In whatever faith anybody's in, it just means God. In English, you can use the word God and a person can be a Buddhist. Again, a person can be Hindu, Shintoist. A person can be involved with Wicca or whatever they're talking about when they use the word God. But for us, when we use it, we know we're talking specifically about a God who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And the scripture here is clear. If we believe in the doctrine of Christ, we have the father and the son. Well, there are plenty of people that don't. If you've ever read the New World Translation by the Jehovah's Witnesses, you know in the Gospel of John, among many other verses, they have all kinds of alterations. So we know it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But in the New World Translation, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. In the Jehovah's Witnesses' mind, Jesus was not eternally generated, or he was not God the Son before there ever was an Adam and Eve. God created Jesus, see? And when you talk to them, they'll they'll use all the right words. Oh, yes, we believe Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But then when you read what they write in their booklets, you find out they don't believe in the atoning power of Jesus' blood like we do. Precision And explaining what we believe is necessary. And John, just like Paul, has to be very clear to make sure there's no ambiguity. He says in verse 10, if anybody comes and doesn't bring this doctrine, what doctrine? The doctrine from verse 7 and 9. He said, don't receive them into your house, nor say Godspeed to you. Now, what does that mean? Because we all have people in our families that may not necessarily be believers, some may share other faiths. 
And if grandma comes to the house and she's not a Christian, but she's in another religion, is that saying that you can't let grandma come into the house and have a meal with you? I'm not sure that's quite what it's saying. But I, I do believe this, who's if, if it is somebody in your family that's in there trying to evangelize you with false doctrine, you ought to shut it down as quick as you can. But if it's somebody not a blood relative and they're trying to come in there knocking on that door, don't let them in there at all. Yeah. It's like some of these farmers, when, when they see the, the young men who have to do their two years of evangelism, then they head out here, get an apartment and stay out here, put on their black pants and their white shirt, and the Mormons are riding their bicycles all up and down the country roads to get to the farmers' houses. There are a whole lot of farmers that invite them on in and just sit down and talk, and they're interested in all of that, but no, not none of my people. They just, they just turn off the uh, riding lawnmower and just head inside the house. No sense in even engaging in that and allowing them to evangelize you. If anybody comes and doesn't bring this doctrine, don't receive them. My objective is to evangelize people who don't know God and don't know Christ. The objective of other religions is to evangelize me so that I know their God. And as long as those are the battle lines and we understand that, then I've got to be very careful who I bring into that house. Yeah, be very careful. If, if, if you bring into that home someone who teaches something like um, animism or some kind of witchcraft or something like that, and then they sit down and start talking with you, you don't know. They may be a better debater than you. And they may have some logical, rational answers that are better than the ones that you can come up with. And before you know it, they've turned and twisted your thoughts in your mind. And pretty soon you're thinking, well, you know, that that really does make a little bit of sense. I mean, after all, I mean, there, there had to have been a great spirit somewhere. And and I, I can see why ancient people had totem poles to tell the story of their tribes and, and their religion. And if, if I put on a, a wolf skin and, and maybe I get out there and dance a little bit and play a, a tom-tom in the background. Maybe, maybe the rain will come down. And before you know it, you'll be out there doing that. And, and you'll be honestly believing that this is God. I mean, something wonderful is taking place. John says, if they don't bring the true doctrine, don't even let them in the house. That's what he says. Don't even mess around with it. Do not allow your mind to become saturated with thoughts it will cause you to fall out of love with Jesus or cause you to swerve. You say, well, pastor, how is that? How is that uh, conducive to the love walk and, and being a gracious person and being a merciful person? Remember, the same person who said, don't let them in the house is the one earlier who was talking about grace, mercy and love and peace and truth. Because when people say to you, look, love unifies but doctrine divides. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. You can't have unity of faith if you don't have people that believe the same thing. So there has to be some understanding as far as what we believe. That's why I told you the basics of what somebody have to believe about Christ coming from the virgin birth all the way to his ascension and him, him being the judge. There are all kinds of other smaller items that everybody doesn't necessarily have to agree with. But if you don't believe he died on the cross for your sins and that his blood was shed for your iniquities, we're in trouble. 
But if we believe that and you find people that understand that, then uh, you found somebody that's part of the kingdom of God. Yeah. And, and it can't be just a profession. It has to be something that comes out of the heart and, you know, emanates through how we live. So there should be some kind of corresponding action with what we believe because belief and behavior go together. If you tell me I believe something, but your behavior says something different, then I'm going to tell you you do believe something, but what you believe is hypocrisy. You believe you can say with your mouth something that you're unsaying with your lips. And Psalm 14.1 said the, the, the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. That's what he says, but he keeps talking about the one that doesn't exist. Because everywhere he goes, he's convicted by the fact that God is here. And the man or woman that will tell you that I can love God without A, having to want to be part of a fellowship, B, without wanting to give God some of my monies, C, without ever wanting to own a Bible or read a Bible, or D, without being interested in Christian music or any of that, that kind of a person doesn't even know who God is. Because when you're born again, you do what comes natural to that new nature. That new nature loves God. Yeah. And, and you don't have to chase a true believer down to love Jesus. So anybody comes to that house, don't, don't receive them in. So I assume everybody's had that opportunity where people have come and knocked on the door and said, we want to invite you to Fairbury and uh, we're going to have a special meeting over there. And if you come... It's going to be a good time. We're going to explain to you what's going to happen at the end of the age. There's going to be a big nuclear explosion. And I want to give you a little Watchtower magazine. Just so you can kind of read that on your own. And, and, and believe me when I tell you, uh, they're, they're aggressive. But, but I'm just as aggressive. I, I've got several stories. But I've got one story that I always tell, you know, with, with these, uh, these folks. Because usually, I'd say one Saturday out of every month, when Tiff and I first moved into that house, there were always the, the witnesses were out there telling everybody, come, come over to the, the new hall and come be part of this meeting. Well, I'd step out there on the front porch and I'd tell them I'm a pastor and, and I pastor a full gospel church and, and they didn't care. I mean, they just launched right in just like I was lost and I was a sinner. You know, they just kept going with it. And if I asked a question, then I, I realized they had uh, some pre-planned answers and they got to stay on script. And you can mess them up if you start asking them questions that don't have anything in the script. So, I, you know, I do little things just to antagonize them. I'd say stuff like, do you speak with tongues? Hey, what in the world? What? What? They have an answer for that, you know, so I'm just messing with them. But this went on for some time. But finally, I was starting to get irritated because it looked to me like they were coming up, coming all the time. So I stepped out on the porch one time. They were going through all of this stuff and, and finally, because there's a little kid with them. And finally, I linked down to that little kid and I said to that little kid with with dad standing there, I said, you know, one day you're going to get older and you're going to realize all of, that they've taught you is a lie. And um, they got off of that porch quick. <laughs> they got off of that porch quick. And, and, and I'll be honest, I don't get a whole lot of visits anymore at the house. I, I don't get too many at all. And if they come, I'm, I'm ready, but I'm just saying I, I don't get a whole lot. But, but here's the bottom line. They're not coming through that door. 
Yeah. They're not coming through that door. I've had people who um, are Adventists, Seventh-day Adventists. They move into the neighborhood, find out I'm a pastor, start coming over to the house. And Adventists, they're a little different. You know, they, they, they have some, some things that, that they believe that I certainly do believe, but they got this whole thing with if you go to church on Sunday, you've already taken the mark of the beast. So I don't believe that. And, and one time after we had been here, maybe I'd say a good three or four years, I bought a USA Today in one of the uh, local places, and they, they had a, a newspaper ad, and the Adventists had taken out a whole page that said everybody's taking, everybody goes to church on Sundays, taking the mark of the beast. I said, oh, my goodness. And then, of course, they don't eat meat, just all vegetarians, that, that kind of a thing. Well, we had a, a gentleman one time that came, and he was witnessing to me on my front porch, and he kept telling me, he said, look, you need to have this calendar, because this calendar will tell you the right way to God. I said, well, I already know I have a Bible. He said, I know the Bible is good, but this would be a good helper to you to find out how to get to God. I said, no, you don't have to give that to me. I said, don't leave it here. I don't want it on, on my property at all. He said, I got to leave it because I told the people that I'll go out and tell people all about it. But I said, if you leave it, all I'm going to do is walk from the front porch through the living room, the dining room, into the kitchen and put it in the trash. He said, you do what you want with it. I took it from the front porch through the living room kitchen, right and put it in the trash. John said, if they don't bring the doctrine of Christ, don't even waste your time with it. That's what he said. And here's where we'll conclude that last sentence of verse 10. He says, don't bid them Godspeed. That is to say, don't say to them as they're leaving, God bless you on your journey as you proclaim your false teaching. He said, don't do that. The reason for that, verse 11, you're a partaker of his evil deeds. According to John, those deeds are evil. Those works are evil. Those beliefs are evil. I didn't say this, folks. This is what John said. And it, it just really doesn't matter whether we find that, that what the, the, the teaching of the scripture is saying is too harsh or too strong. I'm just saying this is what's in the book. And if we don't want to be a partaker of evil deeds, we can't say God bless you in your missionary adventures as you lead people further and further away from Christ. You can't do that. No. He said, I wish I had opportunity to be with you face to face. I got a lot of things I want to say to you. But he said, one day I trust I'll come to you and speak to you face to face, mouth to mouth, person to person, that our joy may be full. There's something about seeing people in person that's so much better than doing it any other way. I like letters. I always love to receive letters from Tiffany when, when she and I were or uh, fellowshipping friends years ago, you know, dating, as people call it. So I pull them letters out. Oh, my goodness, I was so happy to see anything that had my name on it then had her name right on the top. I'm telling you, I read that letter. I just, just hyperventilate. Couldn't wait to get that thing open. But having the letter doesn't even compare with having her. See, with having her. And, and all these people around the nation and around the world today that for, for two years and some even to this day doing church by Zoom. I can promise you looking at you on a computer screen is never going to be the equivalent of seeing you face to face where you can shake a hand, hug a neck. See, something like that. This is what we're talking about. The church folks 
were made for fellowship. We were built for fellowshipping with one another physically. This is the way God designed this thing. He never designed it for us to just do this by letters, but physically in Jesus name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for an opportunity to look at this very small epistle. And if any wisdom has come out of this, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to be strong witnesses for you to abide in the doctrine of Christ and not be perplexed by the things we see taking place in this world, by people that are falling away. But help us to be bold in our witness, to let people know there's only one way. That way is through Jesus. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.